All right. We have... I think we have so far so good survived and not gotten too depressed going through Job. Although, if there was ever a place to get bogged down, it was this middle section of Job. Just your warning, Zophar is going around again. Now, at this point, you do want to ask yourself a very important question. Why? And I'm serious about that. I want you to imagine for a minute, you're sitting in this group. So, um, Eliphaz... Bildad, Zophar, they have traveled in, they have heard what happened to Job, they get there. It's worse than they could have imagined. They see him there, they sit down with him, they want to bring him some comfort, some encouragement, and they have proceeded to argue with him for what is now going on the sixth speech. At some point, don't you just sit down and be quiet again? Like, you know what? We're just going to sit down, be quiet. What have we solved? I mean, what has actually been accomplished? Other than everybody's now mad at everybody else, and everybody's depressed who's listening. Now, the bigger question for us is, why has that been the case? Because remember, I keep drilling this into you. As you go through this, Ask yourself, based on this complaint of Job, how would you have answered? Based on this accusation from one of the friends, how would you have answered? Because if you're not thinking through this, you don't see the problems as they pop up. And this is part of Christian living. This is the part people like to make um, uh, the last probably 20, 25 years in American Christianity especially, there have been a, a whole pop-up of what we call discernment ministries, and it's basically ministries that complain about other ministries, and some of them are really good and useful. Some of them just complain for the sake of complaining. Do you know what the difference is? Thinking. Thinking. There's a bitterness of heart and spirit that comes in when you just train yourself to complain about everything. There's also a necessary process of thinking through the world, evaluating what's coming in and making sure you are lining things up in your life with the grid that is scripture, the commands of God. As you do that, you will be discerning. You will be evaluating, thinking through rightly, and then applying. You have to do that even when you read. Even when you read. Don't read the speech and go, okay, well, no, stop. What's the point he's making? What's he, what's he trying to get across? And what's wrong with this help? Now, they are centered in the wrong place. As you do that work, you will be centered on the right place. Hopefully understanding, hopefully evaluating. Now, ooh, okay, ready? Real quick. Realize this real fast. Nothing's changed in the world. So their advice is bad. Their complaints are wrong. Job's grief, I don't even know. I, I, I feel like I'm giving Job a bad rap when I say that he's whining, but Job is kind of whining a little bit, isn't he, at this point? Just, just a little bit, so we'll, we'll go with it. All of that is centered on the wrong place. It starts with them. It starts with themselves and the things that are going on around them, and then it is working out. Has anything changed in the world? That's important. When you see problems in politics, when you see problems with economics, when you see problems with worldview, realize that they are not problems out there. They are problems for those people in here. They are disordered understandings of who they are under God. Sometimes it's a full rejection of God, but it's always a disorder of who I am in light of who God is and what he has called me to. It's either a rebellion, a rejection, or a misunderstanding, which means the cure should be found in what? A right understanding of who God is, what he has done, and what he calls us to in light of that. If you are not answering the question in light of those things, you too will answer the question wrongly. 
So always discipline yourself in life. Think through, who am I? Why am I this way? And what am I doing in light of that? Take that to your family. Take that to your work. Take that to your voting booth. Take that everywhere that you go because that's how you build out a Christian worldview. Now, with all of that said, who's ready to dive in and have some fun? Yay, me, 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 me. All right. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then Zophar the Namathite answered, Therefore, my disquieting thoughts make me respond, even because of my inward agitation. I listen to the reproof which insults me, and the spirit of my understanding makes me answer. Is this good motivation? <laughs> I mean, this is your Old Testament version of uh, virgin version. Oh my, I told you it was going to be a day. I took sinus medication yesterday. That's what I'm blaming this all on. <laughs> this is the Old Testament version of the English duke, you know, walking into the party with his little glove. I have been insulted. I challenge you to a duel. Slap! You know, that's basically, you have insulted me. I am wise and have a spirit of understanding. Therefore, I shall answer you. <laughs> We just, we can't seem to get anywhere, can we? Not even a little bit, because what's, what's Zophar's problem now? You have insulted me? How dare you insult me? Is there anything in the New Testament that might be instructive for this sort of an attitude? Anything at all, possibly? Um, how about something like 2 Corinthians 12? I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's an understanding that, Christian, why do you live your life? You live your life unto the glory of God. Where are you traveling to? You're traveling towards his kingdom, where his name will be glorified. Not your kingdom, where your name would be glorified. They've insulted me. So what? And I'm serious about that. They said something mean. They said something dumb. Always remember, this is the wisdom of Proverbs in full effect. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be a fool with him. Very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So when the fool says something foolish, you have to stop and go, is there even a point to having this argument? If there is, what should you do? Have it rightly to the glory of God. If there isn't, Walk away. No, not that way. Oh, way. <laughs> no, there is no Steven Tyler theology today. Now that I've said that, I'll be thinking of Aerosmith songs later. It's, and it'll be Denny's fault, just so you know. It'll be Denny's fault. We will all blame Denny. No, this is a problem. This is not the place that we start. Now, to Zophar's credit, the rest of this chapter is actually pretty good. I mean, it's actually pretty good. I mean, have I said that about anybody else before? <laughs> no, it's actually not bad, and it's, it's so good, I think we should read it. Do you know this from of old, from the establishment of man on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless momentary? Though his loftiness reaches the heavens, and his head touches the clouds, he perishes forever like his refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He flies away like a dream, and they cannot find him. Even like a vision of the night, he is chased away. The eye which saw him sees him no longer. 
and his place no longer beholds him. His sons favor the poor, and his hands give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it lies down with him in the dust. Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Does evil prosper sometimes in this world? Yes, yes it does. Does evil triumph over God in eternity? No, no. This is fantastic. This is an understanding that the sufferings of this world, the successes of this world are temporary. What's the, um, what's the line? When someone, every time something bad happens to you, somebody goes, there's always someone around who will tell you, this too shall pass. And we like that because we're reminded of the fact that this bad thing is not forever. You should remind yourself of that when good things happen, that this too shall pass because there is nothing that is forever in this place. Our eternal home is in eternity in God's kingdom. It is not on this place. It is not a setting of our hopes here. It is a setting of our hopes in the work that God will do in his finished redemption. This is phenomenal. This is lining up with the wisdom of scripture. Um, Ecclesiastes 10. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. And always remember, what's the punch line of Ecclesiastes. When all has been said and heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments because he will bring every act, whether it is good or evil, into judgment. So God will reveal it all at the end. You live your life knowing that sin has corrupted, that sin has torn down some of the good things of this place. So that means on occasion, it looks like evil is winning, but our hope is set firmly upon God on his final accomplishment. Now, this is something else important to remember in the midst of that. Where does prosperity come from, Christian? How do you know that? <laughs> See? James 1. Every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So if God is sovereign... If God is the Redeemer, as Job has declared, remember that was just the last chapter, right? I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end I, that he will take his stand. If we know all of those things and we know that it is God who is ruling and we know that this stuff seems to occur day in and day out in the world, but we also know that it will not stand in eternity, then Job, what has happened to you? See where the connections become obvious and yet everybody's sitting there talking like this? Because if God is giving good to the evil, but he will not allow that to stand, and you, being his good child, have received what would be described as evil in this world, where should your hope be? Where should your focus lie? Should it be on lying and wallowing the dust of the ground, or should it be on that hope that you just espoused five verses ago? This is, again, Training your mind, training yourself on how to think through this world to see. I mean, sorry, I pressed my shirt and not the button. I didn't want to cough into the microphone because that just hurts everybody's ears. This is part of what you need to train yourself to do in the world. How many times have you gone into a voting booth or out of a voting booth and gone, <sighs> how many times have you turned on the news and went, nope, click? And I mean, how many, how many times have you seen something out there and just gone, what is going on? You now are falling into the same trap. You are falling into the mindset that what I'm looking at, everything here is everything. And look, be prepared. It's an election year. So what is it? It's going to be August tomorrow. Oh my goodness, it's going to be August tomorrow. When did that happen? 
Seriously, when did that? Wasn't yesterday Valentine's Day? Anyway, give them about two weeks, and you know what you're going to start seeing? This is the most important election of your life until the next one. Why? Because we've got to get you to think that everything is more important than everything else. And that this is the most important decision you will ever make. And this is the focus. It is the end all be all. If you don't do this, the world is lost. Again, to quote the great prophet Bill Murray, you know, cats and dogs living together, everything terrible. If you got that reference, you're you're welcome. Um, And yet, Christian, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be anchored, standing firm, not driven about by every wind and wave of the doctrine, not seeing the trials and the struggles of this world as the final outcome, because they aren't. This is, we've been doing this in Sunday school. This is the hope to the exiles during the time of Daniel and Ezekiel. Imagine that world. Your country has been destroyed. The temple of God has been torn down. The king has been executed. Everything that you have set as your life is gone. You are a stranger in a strange land raising children. It has been two generations now. The people that killed you have been killed by somebody else. What is going on here? God's kingdom will stand. God's eternal kingdom will rule and reign. The Messiah will come. The king to rule eternally is the one you're hoping for. That king in Jerusalem who God judged is not the one that you follow. The king who is coming is where your hope is placed. That kingdom in Jerusalem was judged and torn down. The eternal kingdom of God, the one cut without hands, the rock that rules the whole of the earth is the one that will stand forever. Christian, that is where your hope is. That is where your life is supposed to be placed. That is where you are persevering towards. So let's give so far a little bit more credit. You ready? Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he desires it and will not let it go, but holds it in his mouth, yet his, yet his food in his stomach is changed to the venom of cobras within him. He swallows riches, but will vomit them up. God will expel them from his belly. He sucks the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue slays him. He does not look at the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and curds. He returns what he has attained. He cannot swallow it. As to the riches of his trading, he cannot even enjoy them. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has seized a house which he has not built. Now, again, this is good. This is a warning. What's the problem here? You go about this world evil, prospering in your evil. You have stored up your riches where? Here. You have attained everything the world has told you is wonderful and good. What will it gain you? See, this is why your Bible verses are what they are. This is the teaching that Jesus is building upon when he explains the teaching of the Father. Mark 8. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The warnings of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now again, why can we see this and they can't? 
perspective, Christian, perspective. This is, again, why you have to guard your heart when you go out into the world. Because, again, the pull of everything going on around you, pulling you this way, that way, up, down, left, right, spinning you around. You remember doing those dizzy bat games when you were a kid? That's the world's goal. You know, remember, you set up a tee, you put the ball on it, and you give the kid the plastic bat. You put the plastic bat on your forehead, you put the other end of the plastic bat on the ground, and you run around it in a circle ten times, and then you stand up and you try to hit the ball off the tee with the bat. You know how that works? You make sure everybody's standing far enough back, because otherwise you get a kid whacked upside the head with a plastic bat, and then someone's crying and it's no fun. Why is that so complicated? You walk up to the tee... You hit the ball, we're done here. Well, it's complicated because you're dizzy and the room is spinning and nothing looks right and you're walking, I got it, I don't got it. That's what the world wants to do to you. This is why your information comes at you. That's why it's the most important election of your lifetime. That's why you turn on the news and what's every single story? Breaking news, this is important, this is vital. You're all gonna die if you don't do what I tell you right now. Because... See? Christian living is what? Exactly. Christian living is what? It is wise because it is patient. It examines. The first comes along to state his case, and it seems right until what happens? Until you examine him and look at the witnesses. This is why you decide a case on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You stop. You think. You evaluate. You operate in wisdom. Then... You're no longer spinning. Then you see the target. Then you see the pathway. Then you know where you're going because you're paying attention. You look at the spinning tizzies going on around you and go, how do you live like that? The answer is they don't. They don't. Because everything is lived for here. Everything is lived for now. It's, it's Toby Keith theology. Want to talk about me? Want to talk about my? See? There you go. If you don't know country music, you're wrong. <laughs> It wasn't Aerosmith, though. I'm going to fight that urge. (laughs) This is what we are combating every single day. And we combat it by sitting rightly with a perspective on the world grounded in godliness. So that when we see the latest, greatest, next thing that comes along, whatever that may be, you go, no. And here's why no. Yes. And here is why yes. We need more time. Here's why we need more time. Because you're aligning with godliness. You're not just jumping from thing to thing, hopping along whatever the next latest and greatest is, but you're always evaluating, always thinking through what are the political decisions, what are the economic decisions, what are the life decisions, all of these things in light of who God is, what he has called you to, and how he has laid that out in Scripture. An anchor that holds, that is firm in this world. That's where we're supposed to be. So, Zophar continues. I told you, we're we're giving Zophar all the kudos today for something good, okay? Because he knew no quiet within him, he does not retain anything he desires. Nothing remains for him to devour. Therefore, his prosperity does not endure. In the fullness of his plenty, he will be cramped. The hand of everyone who suffers will come against him. When he fills his belly, God will send his fierce anger on him and will rain it on him while he is eating. He may flee from the iron weapon, but the bronze bow will pierce him. It is drawn forth and comes, back, and comes out of his back, even the glittering point from his gall. Terrors come upon him. Complete darkness is held in reserve for his treasures, and unfanned fire will devour him. It will consume the survivor in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity. The earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart. His possessions will flow away in the day of his anger. This 
is the wicked man's portion from God, even the heritage decreed to him by God. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little good old-fashioned Baptist hellfire and brimstone from Zophar for you. All he was missing was a wagging finger and a god at the end of that. <clears throat> but since we've inserted it, it's good now. Does God's justice always win? Yes. Yes, it does. This is the punchline of Ecclesiastes. Always remember, where Job's friends find the wrong answer, Ecclesiastes finds the right answer. Because Solomon looks at the same thing in Ecclesiastes. I see people working, but they don't get to enjoy it. I see wise men building, and then their children are fools. I see the poor who are there because they have done nothing being exalted, and I see the hardworking man being cast down. And if you look at it from that perspective, what is life? Empty and meaningless. But when looked at from the perspective of eternity and realizing that it is God who brings to judgment, that it is God who brings to righteous, then you have trust. Then you see the works of this world not as an offering and an accomplishment here, but you see them as an offering and accomplishment in eternity. That's where this is supposed to be. That's why I say this is good. This is the right thing from Zophar. There's a problem with it, though. Does any of this apply to Job? <laughs> see, see, we were doing so well. I mean, we had this nailed down, right? Look, you live a life of wickedness. You build up your life, and it's going to be torn down in the end because it is God's judgment that stands. Amen, hallelujah, absolutely. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And Satan answered and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. <sighs> this isn't Job's problem. Job's problem is not that he has embraced iniquity and tried to build his life on the pleasures of sin. Job's problem is he has tried to avoid all of that, and yet it seems like he's reaped this reward anyway. So, what does apply in this scenario? Does Job feel as though he has been wronged by God? Yes, yes he does. From a worldly perspective, does Job have a case? Yes, yes he does. I mean, You've never said this. You've never said this. You don't know anyone who's ever said this. You can pretty much, I think, summarize Job's argument this way. I did everything I was supposed to do, and this is what you've given me. See, you've never thought that ever once. <laughs> you've never contemplated it. Even if you didn't say it out loud, you never thought it. I, I know you sweet, loving, kind people would never imagine anything as evil and wicked as that, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, stop saying that. <laughs> because that's your flesh. That's sin, corrupting heart and mind, stirring up in you. That's Job's case. Again, what should be the comfort? The comfort should be coming back to the knowledge of God, coming back to the eternal completed work of God, coming back to the justice of God. We've talked about this before. This is why our justice system in our country was supposedly set up the way that it was, and why you're seeing the corruptions of it now. Our system was supposed to be set up to do what? To be slow and deliberative, because that is biblical wisdom. The, uh, the, founding, the founding argument was, it is better for 
nine guilty men to go free than for one innocent man to be punished. That's a biblical case. That's why biblical convictions are hard. Can you imagine? Go through and read your Old Testament law. You gotta have proof. You gotta have witnesses. There's got to be multiples. Can you imagine how many crimes went unconvicted in that world? Lots. You could get away with a lot. I mean, there's no spotlights. There's no motion sensors. If you can get away with it at night, who saw you do it? (laughs) Who can say, I saw him by torchlight across the courtyard? Seriously? That's what we're going to... I mean, it's almost impossible to convict anybody. You know why? Because we won't get justice now, but we'll have it in eternity. God will bring this to righteousness. God will condemn that sin or God will redeem that sin. God will condemn that injustice and God will restore that righteousness to the youth. There's an eternal perspective. Now, understand your world a little bit more. Lose that eternal perspective. When do you want your justice? Now! And how much of that do you want? How many pounds of flesh do you demand when you want your justice here and now? Exactly. That's what you're seeing in the world. A world that forgets God, loses concepts of patience, of wisdom, of justice, of righteousness, of eternity. All of these things are lost and cast away because God is lost and cast away in their mind. Rather, if you're Job, with this not being your problem, we need to center on God's economy, on God's hope. So let's find, anybody else in the Bible maybe feel like they were wronged by God and treated unjustly and have a complaint about it? Eh. See if anybody thought of the same people I thought of. Jeremiah chapter 20. O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me, and each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side, denounce him, yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed. With an everlasting disgrace, they will not be forgotten. Yet, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, you who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoer. That's how you're supposed to think in this world, with long perspective in mind, with eternity set in your heart, understanding that it is God who accomplishes. Yes, they hate me. I don't care. God has defended. Yes, they want to do me harm. I don't care. God has given me grace and mercy. Yes, this world is ugly and broken but God's kingdom is pure and righteous. And that is where my hope lies. And that is what I will proclaim. And that is where I will walk until the day that I wake up there. That's the hope. That's where Job should be. Who wants to place bets on where Job is? (laughs) (laughs) Then Job answered carefully. I'm sorry, then Job answered. Listen carefully to my speech and let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. Then after I have spoken, you may mock. (laughs) 
We were, we, we, it was there. You could have had it, and yet you grabbed it and went, no, I'm good. Now, let's, um, silly, we're going to fast forward a little bit. So uh, verse 15, let's see if the computer can catch up. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Um, how close are we to Satan actually being right here, just out of curiosity? We're closer than I think we'd like to admit. I mean, the rest of that, the rest of that whole speech from around verse 4 to 14 gives you Job agreeing with Zophar. He sees injustice in the world. Um, go back to verse 15. This is the wrong response to injustice in the world. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? I don't know. Maybe who is the Almighty that we should serve him should be answered with things like, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. That was Job the last time he opened his mouth. It's like it went in one year out his mouth, and then it was just gone into the ether somewhere. Um, What would we gain if we entreat him? Oh, I don't know. Maybe go back to Job 19 again. Be afraid of the sword for yourselves, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword so that you may know that there is judgment. I don't know. Maybe we entreat the Lord because he redeems his people and he judges his enemies. Therefore, we can rest in God. Therefore, we can trust in his hand. Maybe that's what we gain if we entreat him. We gain security and peace and hope and strength in this dark place. I don't know, that might be a good help, wouldn't it? Once again, we're how close to a good understanding, but we just can't let go of this world. Which is, once again, if you want to follow Jesus, what do you do? You take up your cross, and you follow him, dying how often? Daily. Daily. Again, what do you need to do every morning? You get up, you see that person in the mirror, and go, man, you got old. Okay, now after that part... Because you all thought that, you had that moment where all of a sudden you're like, oh, what happened? Okay, past that, and now say what? Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Where are we going with all of this? Have the hard conversations, because if you don't, what have we talked about? That anchor, that little monster sits there and does what on it? And next thing you know, what are we doing? And it's simple, we've talked about this before. You just, you take a step. And we're fine. I mean, look, the, the center of the road was where? It's, that's right where we're supposed to be. But are, are we really that far off? No, no, we're good. We're good. We're good and until we do this. And then, but look, look, we can, it's right there. I can see. Look at the highway. It's beautiful. It's perfect. We're fine. We're fine. There's nothing wrong with this. Now, you keep doing this long enough, and where do you end up? <laughs> you have to be thinking. You have to be evaluating in wisdom, with patience. This is the Christian life. This This is not the Christian life. This is anger. This is hurt. This is pain. Now, does that happen? Yes. Which is why time is important. Patience is important because what overcomes that? What helps through that? Realizing that once again, this too shall pass. Realizing once again that it is God's eternal kingdom that my heart is set, that my vision is set towards a hope of standing in his presence because of his accomplished work for me, not my work, his work. Therefore, I'm already moving in the right direction. I'm already moving out of the disgrace and the downturn that I've sat in. And again, Job knows this. 
Job understands this. His friends know this. But when you get lost here, what ends up happening? Nothing good. Nothing good. So let's keep moving. Uh, 17. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Or does their calamity fall on them? Does God apportion destruction in his anger? Are they as straw before the wind, and like chaff which the storm carries away? (sighs) See, this is his problem. Zophar's right. Judgment comes in eternity. God's righteousness will stand. Job wants it when, though? I see wicked people prospering, and you know what that does to me? That makes me angry. I want them to receive their dues right now, because who else should receive his dues right now? Me. That's what Job wants. That's Job's complaint. I was doing everything right. I should have had everything good. Now, if you are capable of uttering that statement in all seriousness and with utter conviction, are you doing everything right? (laughs) And see, That's why that self-evaluation is so important. That's why thinking through all of these things is so vital. Because the minute you get to the place where I'm good, I got this nailed down. (laughs) Guess what we just discovered? We just discovered all sorts of pride and sinful idolatry. And you know what? Okay, good. At least it's out in the open. Isn't this the beautiful work of the Christian community and the Holy Spirit? Shining the spotlight. Look, it's right there. It's sitting in the sunlight. Now we can kill it. And then we can tackle the next thing tomorrow. Because you know what there's going to be tomorrow? (laughs) There's going to be the next thing. That's why we learn to love this fight. Because this fight is part of how we honor God. It is how we get up each day and forsake the world and forsake sin. By seeing it bright and clear in front of us and going, Nope, you and I are going to fight today and we're going to (laughs) win. Because God's already defeated you. This is the thing that we lose. This is why it's so important to have that anchor. Because when you start spinning and wafting and twisting and whatever it is you're doing, you start thinking that you're losing. You start thinking that you're not going to get there. You start thinking that somehow or another, sin in the world is actually encroaching on the territory. They're dead! It is finished. Christ has accomplished righteousness. Christ has accomplished salvation for his people. Always remember our, our, our little formula. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Uh, theologically speaking, it's what we call the now, not yet. So you are redeemed in Christ. That redemption will be completed in eternity. But it's done. That's why you're being sanctified. You're not being sanctified so God will be happy with you. You're not being sanctified so that you don't make dad mad and he spanked you. That's not the goal. If that is the goal, you've got the wrong Jesus, and you've got, to, you've got some work to do. The goal is, no, because God has done that, because this thing that I'm serving has been killed and conquered by Christ, I cast it out of my way. It is dead. It has no power. It has no authority. It has no pull. It has nothing. Therefore, get out of my way. I have things to work on. I have salvation to attain because it has been reserved for me in heaven by the finished work of Christ, by the completed accomplishment that he has brought. Because of his work, I will be successful. Not I can be successful. I will be successful because I am in him. This is why the apostles tell you, you went out of us. You failed. Does that mean Jesus failed? No. You went out of us because you were not of us. 
you walked away because you didn't have the power to stand firm. This is again why I tell you, like a good stock market, right? And a good economy, not the one we're in now, but like a good one. This is what your sanctification should look like over time. It starts here and does what? Just, you know, now are there valleys? But over time, the valleys are higher than when you started. And you may not have been where you always wanted it to be, but over time, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, it looks like we're moving somewhere, which is why we tell you to celebrate how many of your victories. All of them, because we accomplished something. Look, we moved in the right direction. This is good news. This is happy time. Because every time we do this, we're not doing this. And that's the important thing, is we celebrate the accomplished work of Christ in his people, because he is the one who is doing it. That's the hope. That's what we long for. Lose that, you end up wallowing in this world. You end up thinking that sin has triumphed, that God has forgotten you. That's not where we can live. Not even a little bit. So, Job continues. Lost my spot. Where is it? There it is. <laughs> you say, God stores away a man's iniquity for his sons. Let God repay him so that he may know it. Let his own eyes see his decay. Let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care for his household after him? When the number of his months is cut off, can anyone teach God knowledge and that he judges those on high? One dies in his full strength, being wholly at ease and satisfied. His sides are filled out with fat, and the marrow of his bones is moist. There's a description for you. <laughs> Job's been to a funeral or two before, you know, you, you sealed caskets and things. Just got to love the, the images that you get in your Bible. While another dies with a bitter soul, never even tasting anything good, together they lie down in the dust, and worms cover them. Again, Job would have been a good horror writer. I think Edgar Allan Poe read too much Job in his life. Now, this is fun, because you want to see what it looks like when you get caught up in the world and how there's nothing new under the sun. Ooh, I do, I do, I do. Um, the complaint. You say that, you know, God does this. Well, do it when? Now. Do it where we all can see it. Don't wait and store this up for years down the road. Israel had the same complaint. When they went into exile, that was how they lied to themselves. Because always remember, who lies to you the most? You do. And you'll do it about what? Yes, everything. You will lie to yourself about everything. Israel, in the exile, was sitting there in the time of Ezekiel saying, this isn't our fault. This is our father's fault. They sinned against God, and God punished us with this. They had their own saying for it. The fathers have eaten the sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. So because of the sins of them, those people, our fathers and grandfathers, we are now being punished by God. And so God sends Ezekiel to tell him, you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? So that was their justification. Everything then becomes passed down. So when I do wrong, who should get punished for it? Not me. I'm being punished for them. So if I do it wrong, it should go towards me. When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and observed all my statutes, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. In other words, you're here because of your problem. You're being judged because of your sin. If you're saved, it will be because God has set his righteousness upon you. Not your father or your grandfather, not your son, but upon you. Your righteousness 
accomplished in God, not somebody else's. This is important because, same argument. Get lost in the world. Start thinking through, buying into the lies of the enemy, and next thing you know, you're spouting the same stupidity that has been spouted for hundreds of years. Now, when this dumb idea has been refuted, and 500 years later we're still spouting that same dumb idea, that would be dumb, right? What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. That rule is always in effect. Always in effect. Once again, Christian, why we're slow. Why we're patient. Why we think through things. This is, again, why I I can't watch the news. Because everything is about what? What's your opinion about it right now? Look, here's this crazy video. What's your opinion? What say you? What say you? What say you? And then you get 27 people. And then a week goes by. A month goes by and you're like, oh, huh, I kind of wish I'd known about that. Huh. Oh, well, I guess I got to change my, my mind on something. Why? Because you have information. Whereas if you just stopped, waited, thought for a second, contemplated, wait till all the facts come out about something, you'd go, oh, okay, and now we can do something. Christian, that's wisdom. That's how God calls you to live. This is what's demanded because it allows you to stop, to think to evaluate, to give room for prayer and scripture and the word of God so that you can then think rightly, not based upon your emotions. Look, I will hammer this idea until the day that I die. You cannot be guided by how you feel. You cannot. You absolutely positively cannot. Your feelings must be guided by what you know. And what you should know always is who you are in Christ and what that means for your life moving forward. That's the difference between trying to live in happiness and trying to live in joy. That's the difference between being torn down by every little thing that happens in this world and being able to stand firm in the trials that God has sent to you. Because you are abiding in his joy, because you are not guided by feeling, but you are guided by the knowledge that it is God who carries me, God who strengthens me, and God who will redeem me unto that last day. That's what we have to know. No, 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 no. And that's how we then have to live based upon that. So, Job concludes, thank goodness. (laughs) Behold, I know your thoughts and the plans by which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the nobleman, and where is the tent of the dwelling places of the wicked? Have you not asked wayfaring men, and do you not recognize their witness? (laughs) He wants to mock them a little bit. Now, in Job's defense, don't you want to mock them a little bit? I mean, have they gotten one right yet? Even when we got some good biblical wisdom, we applied it in the wrong direction. Why? Again, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Wrong perspective. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes so far and say you're offended so you have to talk. Sorry, that's not in there, but I thought it might be appropriate. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, stop, think, evaluate based on faith. For the wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. Who will confront him with his actions? Who will repay him for what he has done? While he is carried to the grave, men will keep watch over his tomb. The clods of the valley will gently cover him. Moreover, all men will follow after him, while countless ones go before him. How then will you vainly comfort me, 
for your answers remain full of falsehood. That's a broken perspective right there. A broken perspective. Yeah, those unrighteous guys who have all that success are going to die. They're going to be in the ground, and they're going to be at peace. How is that a comfort to me? (laughs) And the answer is it's not. But the same guy who told you that his flesh will see God even after it is gone is the same guy who should be understanding that there's a perspective. It's the same one who should be able to take the perspective from Zophar and put two and two together. Yes, the wicked will be judged of God. Yes, the redeemed of God will prosper in his kingdom. So let's put those ideas together and walk forward and understand that, yes, I'm struggling. Yes, this is miserable. Yes, I hurt and I have lost and you people are useless to me right now. But I have God. I have his redemption. I have his strength. I have everything that I would need. Now, could you build that case in Job's world? This is the last little point we're going to make because this is important. Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. This is Jesus explaining to you why you shouldn't worry. And what's his point? Okay. Sparrows, birds, sold to the market, cheap food, cheap whatever. You get two sparrows for a penny. That's the definition of cheap, right? I can give you two birds for one cent. Cheap, 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 cheap. Why do they die? (laughs) No. Why do the cheap birds die? Because... God has ordained their life and their birth and their death. Now, if God will spend that patience, that energy, that time to care about a bird that you couldn't literally give two pennies about, what has he done for his people? Made in his image, living to worship, following after him. See, that's a point based upon the natural world. I I warned you about this in Sunday school if you were in there, that there can be points made based on general revelation. This is one. You can look at God working and managing of the meaningless things of the world and then realize that he has set his heart upon his people, that he has given us a job in this world, that he has made us in his image to steward his creation, that he has not forsaken any of it. And if he's watching over these meaningless one bit. They're not even two-bit birds. They're half-bit birds. You get two for a penny. It's a half-bit. <laughs> I mean, that's the... Yeah, exactly. If he cares so much about these cheap little things, what does he care about those that are made in his image? Has he forgotten you? Has he forsaken you? Has he, fail- has he failed to strengthen you? Has he allowed this calamity and going, oh no, what are we going to do? Of course not. Now, based on that knowledge... What do you do, Christian? Because this is where the disconnect has been lost in Job with his friends. Is we know this. We know that God's at work. We know that God redeems. We know that God judges. So what? So, so what? This is where the wisdom of your New Testament is so important. Paul helps you with a so what. Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, walk patiently in Him. Have joy, no matter what comes upon you. We can praise, we can worship. Again, this is where Job started, right? Everything that happened, the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't tell me to curse God and die. That's what foolish people say. No, we accept good, we accept bad from his hand. And all these things, Job did not sin. That's where you rest. That's what Paul is building upon. No matter what comes upon you, you rest in him, trusting in him, praising because he has redeemed you and he has not forgotten you. You live in this world knowing that it is God who has accomplished God who is saved, God who is strengthening, God who is sanctifying, and God who will bring you to a final day of completion. Darkness, no matter the struggle, no matter the difficulty, it is God who holds you and God who has you. Therefore, Christian, you are not shaken. You do not tremble. You do not fear. You are not worried. And if you are, you know that he still stands ready to receive your repentance and faith and trust in him each and every day. He has not lost you. He has not forgotten you. This is the hope that Job should have. This is the hope that we have to have. Because again, a world that has forgotten God and is violently angering against him, they going to get better? So Christian, strengthen yourself. Gird yourself for battle, knowing that it is God who has prepared you for this day. You don't get to pick the times. You don't get to choose the weather. You don't get to walk outside tomorrow when it's going to be 85 degrees in a parka in like 17 layers of thermal underwear and go, it's just going to be fine. I'm going to be just fine. You're going to melt, okay? Just like you don't get to walk around in Illinois in January in a bathing suit. You're going to freeze to death. And we're not going to feel sorry for you because you were being dumb, okay? You don't get to change the reality of the world. You don't get to pick the world that you live in. What you do get to do is choose how you will live in it in godliness how you will confront the world, how you will walk in faithfulness, where you will stand, and where you will trust that he will strengthen you. That's what you get. So learn to love the fight against your sin, to stand firm in the faith for God because it is he who will bring you to that good day. Let's pray.